The following is a presentation of Hawkeye's Mike LLC. First and ten, McNutt gets free, caught, touchdown, Iowa! McNutt busted the man coverage. And he takes it in for a 26-yard score. 11th touchdown catch this season for the 1,000-yard receiver out of St. Louis, Missouri. Tying Iowa's single-season touchdown reception mark with Maurice Brown, who had 11 in 02. Iowa's opening drive, a thing of beauty for Hawkeye fans. Equal doses, Coker and McNutt. Hello, Hawkeye fans. This is John Patchett, and welcome to the football show from Hawkeye's Mike. This podcast features former NFL and Iowa Hawkeyes star Marv Cook. Marv breaks down Iowa's road win at Purdue, and he previews the Heroes game at Nebraska. This program also features game notes and key stats, plus the weekly Big Ten Conference update. This Hawkeye's Mike podcast is one in a series of our weekly programs this year, which include regulars Brent Balbinot and Marv Cook, as well as numerous guest commentators and reporters. Be sure to check out tomorrow's release of The Reporter's Notebook. The Iowa-Purdue game highlights are courtesy of the Big Ten Network with announcers Tom Hart and Derek Ratley. A nice job calling this contest, which turned out to be a pretty weird ball game. We very much appreciate it and thank them. You're not really wearing that, are you? Wearing what? The man purse. It's where I keep all my things. I get a lot of compliments on this. Plus, it's not a man purse. It's called a satchel. Indiana Jones wears one. So does Joy Behar. Danny Hope used that timeout two plays ago. That might come to effect on this kickoff into the wind. And it will get hung up big time in the wind. And a fair catch. Taken. Ball lost. And it's free on the ground. One of the up men wanted the fair catch and muffed the return. Brandon Cottom, a freshman running back, coughed it up. And Iowa takes it away. Hawkeyes Mike football programs come to you following every game during the entire season and are brought to you in part by Prefence Hand Sanitizer. One application lasts all day. Try the hand sanitizer used by the Iowa Hawkeyes and choose not to get sick. Remember, the best defense is Prefence. And by the Marsh Cook Investment Group in Coralville, Iowa. Marsh Cook, for all your investment needs. Call in and express your opinions about the Hawks. To make your voice heard on HawkeyesMike.com, call toll-free 866-74-HAWKS and join our guest experts on weekly podcasts. Looking back at the Purdue game, the Iowa Hawkeyes broke their five-game road losing streak with a win over Purdue in West Lafayette last Saturday. It was an odd game, with the wind wreaking havoc on both teams and sloppy play all around. Not only was this Iowa's first road win of the season, it was also James Vandenberg's first win ever as the starting quarterback. This victory also ensured that Iowa will not have back-to-back losses in the 2011 season, as the Hawkeyes have bounced back from each of their losses this year. The stats were over overwhelmingly in Iowa's favor throughout the game, but the score was not, and Purdue was not out of this contest until its last drive ended with a video review overturning a Purdue touchdown, and instead ruled a Purdue fumble into the end zone and a touchback for Iowa. At one point near the end of the first half, Iowa had three possessions that all started on the Purdue side of the 50 at the 36, the 9, and the 49-yard lines, and yet the Hawks came away without a single point in that stretch. Iowa came into this 
game leading the Big Ten in dropped passes, and the offense suffered from that problem once again. Nevertheless, it was a key win for the Hawkeyes and guaranteed them a decent bowl selection. This was the first time Iowa had played Purdue in three years, but for the near future at least, this matchup will continue as the Hawkeyes and Boilermakers are now the out-of-division protected game in the 12-team Big Ten. Marvin McNutt and Marcus Coker once again had big games for the Hawkeyes, with McNutt continuing his record-setting pace as a wide receiver. Tight end C.J. Fedorowicz continued to solidify his starting job, and on the defensive side, Mike Daniels had an outstanding day with nine tackles, seven solo, five for a loss, and three sacks. How he was not named Big Ten Defensive Player of the Week is beyond me. Among the key stats, Iowa had 408 total offensive yards compared to Purdue's 282. The Hawkeyes ran 75 offensive plays. Iowa had a comfortable margin in possession time, 33-30 to 26-30. The Hawkeyes were 3-5 of five in the red zone and 8-15 of 15 in third down conversions. Purdue, on the other hand, was only 2-4 of four in the red zone. Purdue turned the ball over five times, including a blocked punt and a fumble on a kickoff return. The Hawks had two turnovers. Iowa also sacked Boilermaker quarterbacks five times, while Vandenberg was sacked three. We welcome back Marv Cook for his weekly X's and O's stint on Hawkeye's Mike. Marv breaks down Iowa's important win at Purdue, and he previews the Nebraska game. Sean Patchett visits with Marv. Although this game had an odd feel to it, the Hawkeyes finally pick up their first road win, and it was also James Vandenberg's first road win as a starter. Wow, that's uh, yeah, I didn't realize that. That makes sense. Yeah, because you're right, he started Ohio State, didn't win that game a couple years ago, and then this is his first season as a starter, so, you know, great setting, I've played there, a lot of fun to play in that stadium, and I thought he played extremely well, and, and obviously the team did what they had to do to get the victory, so uh, a great, great win for the Hawks, a critical time for him. We've been here before, statistically speaking, Iowa dominated the game, yet the outcome wasn't down until the very end. That's our MO, I mean, that's, uh, that's who we are, and, and you know, keep games close and then be better, be good enough to win the game at the end. And, and that's historically what we've always been able to do. And, and when you have enough talent and, and good players and you are better than the other team, you're going to be able to get a lot of those victories. So uh, you would like to see, you know, one of these games when you win by 30, 50, or you, know, you roll a team out that you should be beating better. But I think Purdue's getting their traction. I think they're actually becoming a lot better football team. Surprisingly, Iowa has not lost two games in a row this season. Um, they continue to bounce back after each loss. Any thoughts there? You know, that's a, there's a little bit of youth and experience with that. Uh, there's also just enough of a talent level there that, you know, they are a pretty good football team. So, you know, to be able to compete with some of the teams they've been able to compete with and get some of the victories they've gotten, you know, over Michigan, things like that. So you know they are obviously pretty talented. You know, we'd like to see better, but, um, but it is what it is. Early in the season, we were talking about Vandenberg's natural talents, the quality of his touch, etc. In your opinion, has he steadily improved this year, and is there anything specific that you can point to? I think he's improved. I think he's improved on his progressions, his reads. I think he's getting his progressions quicker, throwing the ball to where it needs to be thrown quicker. You know, I, I still think, with the exception of the sack in the end of the zone, obviously, that he stayed pretty clean. You know, a lot of times it's good protection schemes, but it's also uh, an issue of he's getting the ball out in time and, and before they can get to him. So I, I think he's made great progress in that regard. 
and, and as we talk about, I think he's I think he's a great thrower. I think he's really got a, a strong arm when he needs it, but he's got the ability to really lay the ball in there with a nice finesse when he has to do that as well. Ed Podolak mentioned on the broadcast that Iowa receivers drop a lot of passes and practices. Iowa also leads the Big Ten in drop passes, or 12 now. What could be the cause of that, or causes? And as a coach, how do you go about dealing with that? Well, you just you got to practice. You got to uh, you know do drills, uh, work on things, um, you know whatever it takes to get them to to you know feel comfortable when the ball's in the air uh, and, and having their hands in the right position. But ultimately, a lot of times it's it's a matter of concentration and and sometimes you know I mean. Depends how what you consider a drop. You know, some of these balls are very, very difficult to catch, and if it goes off your fingertips, they consider it a drop. So, a lot of times those statistics can be misleading. But, but it's the it's the clean drops that you want to really eliminate and make sure that you don't have because what you can't have is, you know, that third and six, and you got an eight yard completion, you drop the ball. Well, that's 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 a critical critical drop that you, you can't have. And and, um, and I, for the most part, I think they've done a, a decent job with it. But you know, there is some some new guys that are seeing experience for the first time, with the exception of McNutt, obviously. But uh, uh, but you know those are things you got to continually work on and get better at. Uh, Marvin McNutt with another fantastic performance. He just continues his record-setting season. He's ridiculous. I mean he's uh, I mean he's phenomenal. I mean I'd hate to think of where we'd be without him on their roster right now because he's he is a game changer. And it's hard it's hard to be that big of a factor over and over and over again as a receiver. I mean, you can have one big game here and there, and maybe four or five big games over the course of the season. But it seems to me he, he is just unbelievable force every single Saturday that he lines up and plays. You know, there's no denying his skill, and he consistently makes outstanding catches. But we're starting to see uh, he occasionally drops routine passes. What will that do to his draft value? I mean, I think it's something that they'll look and they'll talk about, but at the end of the day, they're going to see that he makes plays. He scores touchdowns. He makes great catches. He can get open. He can create space. And then now, I mean, I've seen glimpses where he's running away from people now. And, and you know, that was the one element that I was always didn't know where he was at with. But, uh, I mean, he's, he's the complete package. C.J. Fedorowicz has now scored in back-to-back -back games. What have you seen in terms of his development, and what can we expect from him next season? Well, obviously, just hopefully he's ramping right now, I and mean, hopefully he is really the lights starting to go off, and, and he's getting an understanding. Obviously, uh, Vandenberg getting more comfortable with him, and he can run. And that's the one thing I've noticed is he flat out can run away from guys, uh, and, and as a big tight end like that, if you can stretch the field and, and create, uh, you know, throwing lanes in there. Uh, for your quarterback, it's you're a big weapon. I mean, obviously he's a big guy, a big target. You can throw the ball high to him, but he can also run away from linebackers and safeties, which is a very, very good weapon to have. So, I, I, I continue to see huge upside for, for him. Uh, he recently mentioned in an interview with Pat Hardy that he used to jog through the drills and practice and not really try that hard, um, but that has changed now. And you know, we see he's getting more playing time in the in the field and. He's getting balls thrown his way. Is that just a maturity issue, or what's going on there? I think it's a, a lot of it's just knowing what you're supposed to be doing. I mean, if you if you if you are very very in tune with what you need to be doing, you play faster. If you're thinking about what you need to be doing, you don't play as fast as you. you you're always wondering. You're not completely convinced if I'm going to the right spot in the zone or if I'm going to the right spot uh, in the scene. Um, 
you don't you just don't play as fast and I think now he's starting to understand the offense a little bit knowing, more knowing where he needs to be when he needs to be there and, and with that consistency now Vandenberg knows he can trust him to be there and he's going to throw the ball there and he'll make the play so I think it's a combination of a lot of different things. Iowa continues to struggle in the red zone. Uh, at Purdue in five trips they came away with only two touchdowns. What's going on there and what can they do to improve? You know I think it's a lot of it is just having a, having a mindset that you know you got to continue to move the football. You got to continue to get first downs and, and whether it's a combination of, of passing and running. You know a lot of times what gets you there into the, you know they always talk about red zone plays and, and, and in my opinion you continue to do what you've done, and you continue to, to, to run the plays, especially with our running game, because our running play, our running game, is effective all the way down. And it shouldn't, it shouldn't, because we're getting into the red zone. It shouldn't. I know things get compressed, but a lot of that shouldn't change because we should still be getting guys on guys, and our backs still be getting holes, and we should still be getting three, five, six yards, and moving the chains and getting all the way down inside the ten. And at that point, it's just a matter of making, you know, making a play and. And with McNutt on the outside and, and, and Fedorovich now becoming more of a factor, I mean, we should be, you know, we should be getting touchdowns, you know, eight out of ten times at least when we get down inside the, you know, 20, 30 yard line. So how much of it is play calling versus execution? I mean, I think it's sequencing. I think a lot of it's sequencing, and you know, and, and, and like a, a couple times I've seen where you know we'll have a third and eight on the 15 yard line and we run the ball. And, and a lot of times I'm thinking we're running the ball because it's a two-down territory, because right? we're going to go for on the next down, but we don't. We end up getting fourth and three, we gain four, five, six yards, and it's fourth and two or fourth and three, and then we kick the field ball. It's like, well, you know, third and eight, I mean, you know, the, the chance of getting a first down running it is not near as good as it's throwing it. And so, I mean, it, I think it's it's the how you com combine play calling as you get into the red zone that ultimately gets you the next first down, gets you a new set of downs, and ultimately a chance to score a touchdown. Talking a little bit about play calling, what were your thoughts on the play action call, first down on the one yard line, uh, Vandenberg fumbles, Purdue recovers for a touchdown. Why would you call that play in that particular situation, and what are the pluses and minuses? Well, you know, I got to be honest. I was, we were playing. I was playing the state championship game with Regina. I was coaching the game, so I went back in hindsight and, and saw a lot of this. You know, it's one of those plays where if 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 one defensive back takes it off or gets caught up in the play action, it could be a situation where it's a 99-yard touchdown. You know, and and un unfortunately for us, that didn't happen or it didn't appear to happen. But, you know, they, they were ready for it. Everybody got back, covered up our guys, and then Vandenberg had to try to get out of, out of the pocket. But it is a situation where you do come out with a play action. They expect us to run it with play action. Now all of a sudden, if McNutt gets behind somebody, makes a catch, it, it's a big, big change around. So I can't remember what the score was at the time, or the down and distance was, but you know, it definitely goes against what we normally would do. On the defensive side of the ball, arguably their most solid performance of the season. They held Purdue's no huddle spread offense to only 282 yards. What did you see that made Iowa's defense so effective? Well, I think, you know, the, the discipline of it. The fact that they constantly, in my opinion, what we've always done is we're going to give them a lot of the easy stuff. And you're going to give away the flats, you're going to give away the, the, the short hitches. And, and you got to make them work those things and continually march the field. And I think a lot of teams don't have the patience to do that. They want to hit home runs, they want to hit doubles and triples. 
and so they're going to try to take shots down the field and our defense just stays disciplined uh, but, you know they, they uh, you know up front it's, it's getting tougher and tougher to run increases for big running plays uh, you know and our front four is getting more I think good at containing the pocket and not letting guys out although this guy's not the most mobile quarterback but uh, but I think they're all getting a little bit more solid and fundamental on what they're doing defensively and they're playing together as a unit better than they have in the first five or six weeks. After the Big Ten update, Marv talks Nebraska and more. Third and goal from the five. Vandenberg wants to throw. Looks to the outside. Caught. Goal line. Touchdown, Iowa. C.J. Fedorowicz. They flooded the right side and he went back into his tight end for the Iowa score. And it's the second touchdown of the season for Fedorowicz. What a start for James Vandenberg, C.J. Fedorowicz in this Iowa offense. Vandenberg 8 of 10, 105 yards and two touchdowns on the opening two drives of this game for the junior out of Keokuk, Iowa. How many things have you touched today? Hmm? Ooh, a puppy. <laughs> How many places have your hands been? Ooh, a keyboard. 24-hour hand sanitizer protection just makes sense. Prefins, a silica-based hand sanitizer protects your hands all day. Stays on. Up to 10 washings. Moisturizes. Alcohol-free. And safe for the kids. So go ahead. Touch anything and everything. Ooh, a toilet. Prefins. Keep your hands germ-free all day. In week 11 of the season, one of the two spots in the inaugural Big Ten Conference football championship game has finally been decided. Michigan State has locked down the Legends Division title with its victory last Saturday over Indiana, coupled with Nebraska's thumping at Michigan. Michigan can still tie for the Legends title with a win over Ohio State combined with the Spartans' loss at Northwestern, but it won't matter because Michigan State has the tiebreaker in that case. The Leaders' Division slot, however, won't be determined until this Saturday. Saturday's Wisconsin-Penn State game. Penn State continues to lead the division, but needs to win in Madison to go to Indianapolis. A Badgers victory ties them with the Nittany Lions for the title, but the tiebreaker would then go to Wisconsin. If the Badgers do beat Penn State, that would set up an eagerly anticipated rematch with the Spartans. You'll recall that Michigan State defeated Wisconsin on a last-second play in East Lansing earlier this season. This possible game would probably be a much better contest as opposed to watching an offensive challenged Penn State team in the title game, not to mention the ongoing scandal involving the Nittany Lions. The Big Ten continues to lead all conferences in bowl eligibility. Northwestern's win last weekend makes the Wildcats bowl eligible, which gives the conference nine bowl-eligible teams. Purdue can also become bowl-eligible with a victory at Indiana, which seems likely. That would result in ten bowl-eligible teams for the Big Ten, which would match the all-time record set in 2007. However, the conference only has eight guaranteed bowl slots, and that makes it almost certain that two teams won't be invited in spite of their eligibility. The only two Big Ten teams that will not be bowl eligible for certain are Minnesota and Indiana. There remains considerable uncertainty regarding most bowl selections, including all of the BCS bowls at this point. It's still an open question on whether the Big Ten might end up with two BCS slots. There's a lot riding on the games this weekend, and then on the conference championship games the following week. The conference also set a new single-season attendance record with one more set of games to go. The previous record of 5.5 million fans was set in 2009. The new record stands at 5.6 million. The Big Ten remains one 
one of only three conferences with five or more teams still ranked in the top 25 in the BCS standings as well as all three major polls, and the teams stay the same, Michigan State, Wisconsin, Michigan, Penn State, and Nebraska, in that order. Next, Marv Cook previews the game against the Cornhuskers and more. We saw another week of struggling special teams. As a head coach, what kind of adjustments can be made, if any, on offense and defense to try and pick up the slack from a subpar special teams unit? Well, one, you have to get your best players on the field on special teams. Special teams, you know, they, you only play 10 or 12 snaps, which is probably 10 or 15% of the game but they cover, the, the amount of yards covered in those plays is huge. You know, field position is, becomes uh, enormous. And so you've got to make sure you get your best talented players on the football field on the special teams. And then offensively or defensively, you've got to be smart about it. Well, if we're struggling with our punt coverage, then we need to make sure that we're directional kicking. We need to make sure that, you know, if he misses, he misses high. So it's a hang time issue. It's a fair catch issue. So they're not coming back at us or you're bloop kicking your kickoffs and not kicking it to the, to the best return guy. So you gotta make adjustments like that to based, based on your personnel. And then ultimately, uh, you know, the, the best thing you can try to do is when you got 115 guys in your rosters, you know, find 10 that can cover kids. And, uh, and 10 that can protect the punts and get out and cover. So uh, you just gotta get your best personnel on the field. Would you consider replacing Hyde as a punt returner? Uh, looks like 11 games into the season, he wants no part of you know, that role uh, and there's been plenty of times where he's costing Iowa field position by not trying to catch punts. Well I, I think that's the mindset of uh, you know we, we're a defensive minded team for the most part and you know we want to be conservative with you know a lot of things I mean, I mean that would be one that we want to be conservative with. I've always been a big fan of trying to get a returner that's going to be dangerous that's going to put stress on a team because like I said it, it can change field position you know, not fair catching a ball, as you point out, could cost you 25 yards of field position. Not catching a punt can cost you that, and it, but, but think of what you can gain by catching it and getting an extra 10 or 15 or maybe even a touchdown. So you got to have guys back there that are going to catch the ball and then ultimately, in my opinion, are going to stress the, the coverage team and ultimately hopefully get you points, you know, hopefully get you two or three or four, five, six touchdowns a year and special teams returns and those things are huge from a momentum standpoint, from a, an excitement standpoint, and obviously, uh, you know, from helping your team win as well. Moving on to next week, what will we see when Iowa takes on Nebraska? Obviously, it's going to be a great setting. I mean, uh, Nebraska, they got great fans day after Thanksgiving. Uh, first time, you know, this type of setting for us playing after Thanksgiving. You know, so I'm excited about it. I think we'll see a tough physical game. You'll see two teams that want to run the ball and play action. Um, and you know, you're going to see, you know, obviously Coach Pliny, his staff is very, very intense. So, uh, you know, there's a lot to play for. And this is, you know, Nebraska hasn't probably had the success they wanted their first year in the Big Ten, and they don't want to go out their last game of the Big Ten season uh, on a bad note. So I'm assuming that they're going to have a lot of pride in what's going on. And, uh, uh, is this a trophy game? I'm sure they got a trophy this or something. Yeah, it's Arm for uh, Arm Heroes game, something okay. like that. But, um, you know, so, you know, I'm excited. It's going to be a, a fun football game to watch. We've discussed in the past how players and coaches alike are creatures of habit. With this short week going into the Nebraska game, will that have any type of noticeable impact? The only difference is, is that you usually have a day off 
they don't have a day off this week. That's the only difference is they, they'll move, they'll, they'll blur one day and they'll blur two days into one this week, which will be a film day. They'll go out and they'll walk through, do an install, which normally would be a film day and a day off probably. So they'll just put that together and then they'll get into their, their normal, you know, three days of practice, one day of walk through and they'll be off and running. So it's, it's not too big a dish, issue. Ultimately what you want to do is you want to get the, you know, the 72 hours before kickoff need to be the same. That's when you kind of do that three-day period where you kind of lock things in and that, then they fall into the routine and then they kind of, okay, now they understand there's a game. You know, it's three days out, now it's two days out, now it's one day out, and then they'll be fine. With Iowa's road woes well documented, what are the little things we fans should look for early in the game to see if Iowa has shown up, you know, body language or anything like that? I would look for just excitement. I, I would look for, you know, how are they covering kicks? How are they covering punts? Are they running through things? Are we, you know, are the Nebraska backs when they're being tackled going backwards or falling forwards? Coker falling forwards or falling backwards? You know, I mean, body posture. I mean, a lot of stuff like that plays a, a huge part of it. Also, just for us continuing to come out and, and you know, we're going, you know, are we having three and outs? Because we normally don't have a lot of three and outs. You know, offensively we're doing that. Are we doing that to them offensively and, and struggling and making Martinez struggle a little bit offensively? You know, those are the types of things that I'll be looking for. And then ultimately, you know, it's a 60-minute game. And you can be out of it for a half or three quarters and still get back into it as long as it's close enough. So, you know, it's going to be a, a tough, physical, hard-fought football game. And, you know, we talk about it all the time if you can play the Big Ten. And with Nebraska coming to the Big Ten, these are the kind of games you want to be playing in. It'll probably be cold and breezy and flurries in the air and stuff, and, and, and you know, you've got to get after it. Year in, year out, we hear about how tough it is to play in Memorial Stadium. Uh, what is the toughest stadium that you ever had to play in? Wisconsin was, was difficult, loud. Ohio State was very, very loud. When, when I played there as a redshirt freshman, we were ranked number one, we got beat. Uh, when Chuck Long was here, it was incredibly loud, Ohio State was. Minnesota was always unique just because of the dome uh, element of it, but uh, but probably have to say Ohio State was probably the most difficult place. And just see, on the team in general, halfway point of the season, when asked to describe this year's team in one word, you said developing. What word would you use to describe them now? Unfortunately, probably the same, you know, and probably still in that same boat. I mean. You know, still a work in progress. I mean, here's the interesting thing: is right now they've got a huge game. This is a huge game for where they go in a bowl game. You know, if they win this, they're going to go somewhere pretty nice, I'd imagine. If they lose this, you know, I mean, they're middle of the pack, and the only thing that's going to bring them out of a, into a bowl, good bowl game at that point will be the fan base. And don't get me wrong; it's been a great season, and I've, I've enjoyed every minute watching them, and, and, and I love the players. And we've lost some games we shouldn't have lost. You know, and you can also say we won a couple games we shouldn't have won, but that's kind of the game it, it has been. But so what are we, we we're seven and four right now. So we need to be seven and five or eight and four. And eight and four is a good bowl game. Seven and five is not a very good bowl game. So you know, so it's, there's a lot to play for. But that being the case, uh, I'd still say developing. And, and I think the good thing is, is is you know I think there's a lot of things to be building on for next season. And and um, you know we get some of these younger players are starting to come on and play extremely well for us. So uh, the future looks pretty good. When I wrote that question, I. I was trying to think of a word I would use, and developing was pretty much at the forefront of my mind, which also made me think, if it is still developing this late in the season, is it fair to say that this team lacks an identity and or leadership? 
You know, I, I guess you would say, I mean, who, who would be the true leader? Marvin McNutt is probably, obviously, from an athletic standpoint, the guy that, that everybody would look to. I don't know if he's a vocal guy. He doesn't appear to be a very vocal guy in the field, but he just makes plays, and I, I got no problem with that. But you don't have a Pat Anger, you don't have a Mitch King, you don't have, you know, Robert Gallery, those types of guys that were really dynamic. And that's okay. I mean, that's, you know, that's okay as long as everybody's working together and, and, and getting everybody up. But, you know, I, I still get back to, Football at this level is an emotional game. You don't want to get caught up in the emotional roller coaster. I get that. But you have to be able to flip that switch on. And you, you have to be able to create momentum, create excitement, create, you know, that ability to play every snap 100 miles an hour. And and sometimes I think we, we you know, are going through a methodical, you know, this is what we do, this is who we are. You know, it's a very workmanlike, professional way, but yet they're not playing like a 19 or 21 year old kid would be playing. You know, you know what I'm saying? I mean, just it's real reflective of Kirk. Crazy. Yeah, going crazy. You know, you know the one thing that, that I probably see that's missing is just there's a and that's I don't know. You know, I don't know if that's leadership. I don't I don't know what that is but, or personality. But it's fun to score touchdowns. You know, and that you want to score a lot of them. And, and when you score touchdowns, you want to be celebrating and, and having a good time. And, and hopefully, we'll be able to do that this Friday. Any other thoughts? No, I mean, like I said, just the inaugural game. I mean, it's, this is the, one of the games that I would have loved to have played in when I was playing high school, college football. And, and um, you know, I'm glad to see the Big Ten bring in Nebraska. I mean, I still think there's a lot more coming down the road with the conferences. You know, I think the Big Ten needs to be out in front of this thing a little bit. And in my opinion, we've got the makings of two pretty good conferences, but they're so small. I mean, what, you know, what is, how many in a conference? Six? Two teams now are going to win their, their conference, going to play. You know, so you got a one in six chance of playing in the championship game every year. Come on, I mean, we need like eight or nine teams in the conference. You know, and, and, and the Big Ten should be attractive enough to bring in enough great teams to, to, to get a great conference, a great Midwest football, and, and, and make it exciting to, to get through the legends or leaders division. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. uh, and and then you should, that should be something. That should that should be to be the champion of that. And then you get a chance to go play in the, in the game, which gives you a BCS bowl game. You know, so you know, so that's to me what I would like to see is I like to see the Big Ten keep expanding. That's my 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 I guess my two cent rant that you know the Big Ten needs to make sure we could probably bring in three or four more teams. Where's your killer instinct, son? You gotta get angry. You gotta get mean. That's the only way you can play. What? I guess I'm not really an angry person. Are you angry now? They go big up front, including Woody Orn, who's on the left side, is a big tackle tied in. Coker goes right side, cuts it back, touchdown Iowa. All in a day's work for Marcus Coker. And the Hawkeyes score before the half comes to a close. He already has 20 carries for 100 yards here in the first half. And you can see how important he is to this offense and that physical nature of running the football. They had him stopped at the goal line, but that doesn't mean you're going to get him down. Just a reminder that you can participate in our shows by offering your own comments and opinions on the Hawks. The toll-free hotline is available 24 hours a day. Call 866-74-HAWKS and make your voice heard. Visit HawkeyesMike.com, go to the news and events section, and check the links for up-to-date information on Iowa games, TV channels, team schedules, and more. Also, check out the game photos and video highlights of Iowa games, other Big Ten action, and teams across the country. Just click on the video tab. You can subscribe to all Hawkeyes Mike podcasts 
podcast through iTunes, and you can follow Hawkeye's Mike on Twitter, Tumblr, and Facebook. Also, be sure to check out all of the Hawkeye stories, features, and blogs in the Gazette and the Hawkeye. And listen to Brent Balbinot on Hawkeye's Mike and on the Balbinot and Brommel Camp Show, weekdays 4 to 7 p.m. on KGYM AM 1600, ESPN Sports Radio in Cedar Rapids, and at KGYMRadio.com. Is it necessary for me to drink my own urine? Probably not. No, but I do it anyway because it's sterile and I like the taste. Hawkeye's Mike Football Shows are brought to you in part by Prefence Hand Sanitizer, the revolutionary antimicrobial hand sanitizer that is alcohol-free and lasts all day with a single application. Try the hand sanitizer the Iowa Hawkeyes use. And remember, the best defense is Prefence. And by the Marsh Cook Investment Group, Wells Fargo Advisors Financial Network in Coralville, Iowa. Call 319-512-6261 or toll-free 800-883-0842. Marsh Cook, for all your investment needs. Our thanks again to the BTN for the game highlights this week. And as always, special thanks to Marv Cook and to Sean Patchett. And congrats to Marv and his Iowa City Regina football team for winning another Iowa State High School football championship. We hope you've enjoyed this Hawkeyes Mike podcast, that you'll come back for more, and that you will participate by phoning and making your own voice heard on our shows. Call 866-74-HAWKS. It's all Hawkeyes all the time on HawkeyesMike.com. One passion, many voices. Nice work, everyone. Sharp broadcast. Really good. Everyone on the floor as well. Really a lot of hustle. I liked it. This has been a presentation of Hawkeye's Mike, LLC.